Chapter Five of the Andes and the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Mattingly. The Andes and the Amazon by James Orton. Chapter Five. Ecuador. Extent. Government. Religion. A Protestant cemetery in Quito, climate, regularity of tropical nature, diseases on the highlands. The Republic of Ecuador looks like a wedge driven into the continent between the Marañon and the Putumayo. It has twelve hundred miles of Pacific coast and an area of about two hundred thousand square miles, including the Galapagos Islands. Peru, however, claims the oriental half drawing her northern boundary from Tumbes through Canelos and Archidona, and she is entitled to much of it, for she has established a regular line of steamers on the Marañon, while the Quito government has not developed an acre east of the Andes. Ecuador is hung between and upon two cordilleras, which naturally divide it into three parts, the western slope, the Quitonian valley, and the Napo region. The fluvial system is mainly made up of the Napo, Pastasa, and Santiago, tributaries of the Marañon, and the Mira, Esmeraldas, and Guayaquil, flowing westward into the Pacific. There are no lakes proper, but the natives enumerate fifty-five lagunas, the largest of which, Capuqui, is not over five miles long. Villa Vicencio tells the world that his country has a total population of one million three hundred and eight thousand and forty-two, but Dr. Jameson believes it does not exceed seven hundred thousand. The government is based on the constitution of 1845, amended in 1853. The president is chosen by a plurality of votes, holds his office for four years, and has a salary of twelve thousand dollars. He cannot be re-elected, nor can he exercise his functions more than twenty-five miles from the capital. But the law is often set aside by those in power. During the administration of Garcia Moreno, prominent citizens were shot or banished by his order without trial by jury. To every plea for mercy, the stern president replied that as he could not save the country according to the Constitution, he should govern it according to his own views of public necessity. Congress assembles on the 15th of September every other year and consists of 18 senators and 30 representatives. The chambers are small and literally barren of ornament. The members sit in two rows facing each other, have no desks and give an affirmative vote by a silent bow. Politics has less to do with principles and parties than with personalities. Often it has a financial aspect and the natural expression on learning of a revolution is somebody's out of money. The party in feathers its nest as fast as possible. There is scarcely a public officer who is not open to bribery. The party out plots a premature resurrection to power by the ladders of corruption, slander, and revolution. Revolution has so rapidly followed revolution that history has ceased to count them, and it may be said of them what Milton wrote of the wars in the Saxon heptarchy that they are not more worthy of being recorded than the skirmishes of crows and kites. 
the grand plaza the heart where all the great arteries of circulation meet and diverge is where the high tides of quito affairs ebb and flow the supreme court consists of five judges criminal cases only are tried by jury and an attorney is not permitted to question a witness there are no penitentiaries second-class criminals are made to work for the public while political offenders are banished to the banks of the napo or to peru here as in no other country every man's house is his castle no search warrants are allowed a policeman can be shot dead on the threshold the person and property of a foreigner are safe and no native in the employ of a foreigner can be taken by the government for military purposes all except pure indians can vote if over twenty-one and can read and write a man's signature is without value if it lacks his flourish a custom of spanish origin the permanent army consists of two regiments the soldiers are mostly half-breeds and are generally followed by their wives they are poorly paid and as they are impressed into the service they carry out the principle by helping themselves wherever they go in marching they have a quicker step than northern soldiers the chief expenditure of the republic is for the army about five hundred thousand dollars the next is for the payment of the national debt three hundred and sixty thousand the foreign debt is one million four hundred and seventy thousand three hundred and seventy four pounds ecuadorians claim a revenue of a million and a half of which one half is from the custom house and one fiftieth from the post office one would suppose that the people who breathe this high atmosphere and enjoy this delightful climate and are surrounded by all that is truly grand and beautiful would have some corresponding virtues but we find that nature here as everywhere has mingled base and noble elements the lofty mountains bearing in their steadfastness the seal of their appointed symbol god's righteousness is like the great mountains look down upon one of the lowest and most corrupt forms of republican government on earth their snowy summits preach sermons on purity to quitonian society but in vain and the great thoughts of god written all over the andes are unable to lift this proud capital out of the mud and mire of medieval ignorance and superstition the established religion is the narrowest and most intolerant form of romanism mountains usually have a more elevating religious influence than monotonous plains the olympian mythology of the greek was far superior to the beastly worship on the banks of the nile and yet at the very feet of glorious chimborazo and pechincha we see a nation bowing down to little images of the rudest sculpture with a devotion that reminds us of the middle ages the belief is called la fe or the only true one the oath of a protestant is not regarded in courts of law one-fourth of quito is covered by convents and churches the convents alone number fifty-seven and are very extensive sometimes spreading over eight or nine acres the church revenue amounts to eight hundred thousand dollars there are more than four hundred priests monks and nuns in the capital the native ecclesiastics are notorious for their ignorance and immorality it is a very common thing says dr terry for a curate to have a whole flock of orphan nephews and nieces the children of an imaginary brother there is one ex-president who has the reputation of tying a spur on the leg of a gamecock better even than a curate the imported jesuits are the most intelligent and influential clergy they control the universities and colleges and education generally 
Active and intellectual, though not learned, they have infused new life into the fat indolence of the Spanish system. Men of this world rather than the next, they have adopted a purely mundane policy, abjured the gloomy cowl, raised gorgeous temples, and say, He that cometh unto us shall in no wise lose heaven. Their chief merit, however, is in the discovery of the turkey and quinine. The Protestant in Quito is annoyed by an everlasting jingling of bells and blowing of bugles night and day. The latter are blown every third hour. The bells are struck by boys, not rung. A bishop returning from a visit to London was asked if there were any good bells in England. Very fine, he replied, but there is not a man there who knows how to ring them. Foreign machinery is sprinkled with holy water to neutralize the inherent heresy, but a miller, for example, will charge more for his flour after the baptism. Lotteries are countenanced by both church and state, and in turn help support them. We saw one grand scheme carried out on the cathedral terrace and defended by bayonets. At half-past nine in the morning, all Quito is on its knees, as the great bell of the cathedral announces the elevation of the host. The effect is astonishing. Riders stop their horses, foot passengers drop down on the pavement, the cook lets go her dishes and the writer his pen. The merchant lays aside his measure and the artisan his tool. The half-uttered oath, carajo, dies on the lips of the cholo. The arm of the cruel Zambo, unmercifully beating his donkey, is paralysed, and the smart repartee of the lively donna is cut short. The solemn stillness lasts for a minute, when the bell tolls again, and all rise to work or play. Holidays are frequent. Processions led by a crucifix or wooden image are attractive sights in this dull city, simply because little else is going on. Occasionally, a girl, richly dressed to represent the humble mother of God, is drawn about in a carriage, and once a year the figures of the Virgin, belonging to different churches, are borne with much pomp to the plaza, where they bow to each other like automatons. This is a bad country to live in, and a worse one to die in, said Dr. Jameson. But times have changed, even in fossil Quito. Through the efforts of our late minister, the Honourable W. T. Coggershall, the bigoted government has at last consented to enclose a quarter of an acre outside the city for the subterranean burial of heretics. The cemetery is on the edge of the beautiful plain of Iñaquito, and on the right of the road leading to Gualpolo. What a shame, said a Catonian lady of position, that there should be a place to throw Protestant dogs. On St. Nathaniel's day died Colonel Phineas Staunton, Vice-Chancellor of Ingham University, New York. An artist by profession and one of very high order, Colonel Staunton joined our expedition to sketch the glories of the Andes. But he fell a victim to the scourge of the lowlands one week after his arrival in Quito. We buried him at noonday in the new cemetery, wherein was never man laid, and by the act consecrated the ground. Peace to his ashes, honour to his memory. That 8th of September, 1867, was a new day in the annals of Quito. On that day the imperial city beheld, for the first time in three centuries, the decent burial of a Protestant in a Protestant cemetery. Somewhere mingled with the ashes of Pichincha is the dust of Hatawalpa, who was buried in his beloved Quito at his own request after his murder in Caxamarca. 
but dearer to us is that solitary grave the earth is yet fresh that covers the remains of one of nature's noblemen turn we now to a more delightful topic than the politics and religion of quito the climate is perfect fair italy with her classic prestige and ready access will long be the land of promise to travellers expatriated in search of health but if ever the ancients had reached this andean valley they would have located here the elysian fields or the seat inhabitant of this favoured spot no icy breezes send him shivering to the fire nobody is sunstruck nobody's buds are nipped by the frost stoves and chimneys starvation and epidemics are unknown it is never either spring summer or autumn but each day is a combination of all three the mean annual temperature of quito is fifty eight point eight degrees the same as madrid or as the month of may in paris the average range in twenty-four hours is about ten degrees the coldest hour is six a m the warmest between two and three p m the extremes in a year are forty-five degrees and seventy degrees those of moscow are thirty-eight degrees and eighty-nine degrees it is a prevalent opinion that since the great earthquake of seventeen ninety seven the temperature has been lower it was suddenly reduced says the encyclopedia metropolitana from sixty-six degrees or sixty-eight degrees to forty degrees or forty-five degrees a manifest error the natives say that since the terremote of eighteen fifty nine the seasons have not commenced so regularly nor are they so well defined there are more rainy days in summer than before and it remains to be seen whether the late convulsion has affected the climate the mean diurnal variation of the barometer is only naught point naught eight four so regular is the oscillation as likewise the variations of the magnetic needle that the hour may be known within fifteen minutes by the barometer or compass such is the clock-like order of nature under the equator that even the rains the most irregular of all meteorological phenomena in temperate zones tell approximately the hour of the day the winds too have an orderly march the ebb and flow of an aerial ocean no wonder watch tinkers cannot live where all the forces in nature keep time nobody talks about the weather conversation begins with benedictions or compliments the greatest variations of the thermometer occur in autumn and the greatest quantity of rain falls in april while on the western side of the andes south of the equator the dry season extends from june to january on the eastern side of the cordillera the seasons are reversed the rain lasting from march to november the climate of the central valley is modified by this opposition of seasons on either side of it as also by the proximity of snowy peaks nine such peaks stand around quito within a circle of thirty miles the prevailing winds in summer are from the northeast in the winter the southwest predominate there are only three small drug stores in the great city of quito the serpent is used as the badge of apothecary art physicians have no offices nor do they as a general rule call upon their patients when an invalid is not able to go to the doctor he is expected to die yellow fever cholera and consumption are unknown while intermittent fevers dysentery and liver complaints so prevalent on the coast are uncommon the ordinary diseases are catarrhal affections and typhoid fever cases of inflammation of the lungs are rare more coughing may be heard during a sunday service in a new england meeting-house than in six months in quito the diseases to which the monks of st bernard are liable are pulmonary 
and the greater number become asthmatic. Asthma is also common in Quito, while phthisis increases as we descend to the sea. Individuals are often seen with a handkerchief about the jaws or bits of plaster on the temples. These are afflicted with headache or toothache, resulting from a gratified passion for sweetmeats, common to all ages and classes. Digestive disorders are somewhat frequent, contrary to the theory in Europe, but they spring from improper food and sedentary habits. The cuisine of the country does not tempt the stomach to repletion, and the climate is decidedly peptic. So the typhoid fever of Quito is due to filth, poor diet, and want of ventilation. Corpulency, especially among the men, is astonishingly rare. According to Dr. Lombard, mountain districts favor the development of diseases of the heart, and contagious diseases are not arrested by the atmosphere of lofty regions. This is true in Quito. But while nervous diseases are rare in the inhabited highlands of Europe, in Quito they are common. Sleep is said to be more tranquil and refreshing, and the circulation more regular at high altitudes, but our experience does not sustain this. Goiter is quite common among the mountains. It is a sign of constitutional weakness, for the children of goitered parents are usually deaf and dumb, and the succeeding generation idiots. Businghold thinks this is owing to the lack of atmospheric air in the water. But why is it nearly confined to the women? In the southern provinces about Cuenca, cutaneous affections are quite frequent. In the highlands generally, scrofulous diseases are more common than in the plains. There are three hospitals for lepers, one at Cuenca with 200 patients, one at Quito with 112 patients, and one at Ambato near Rio Bamba is a community of dwarfs. Dorbini made a post-mortem examination of some Indians from the highest regions and found the lungs of extraordinary dimensions, the cells larger and more in number, hence the unnatural proportion of the trunk, which is plainly out of harmony with the extremities. The expanded chest of the mountaineers is evidently the result of larger inspirations to secure the requisite amount of oxygen, which is much less in a given space at Quito than on the coast. This is an instance, observed Pritchard, of long-continued habit, and the result of external agencies modifying the structure of the body, and with it the state of the most important functions of life. We tried the experiment of burning a candle one hour at Guayaquil, and another part of the same candle for the same period at Quito. Temperature at Guayaquil 80 degrees, at Quito 62 degrees. The loss at Guayaquil was 140 grains, at Quito 114, or 26 grains less, at the elevation of 9,500 feet. Acoustics will also illustrate the thinness of the air. Monsieur Gobin found, in 1745, that a nine-pounder could not be heard at the distance of 121,537 feet, and that an eight-pounder at Paris, at the distance of 102,664 feet, was louder than a nine-pounder at Quito, at the distance of 67,240 feet. According to Dr. Archibald Smith, the power of muscular exertion in a native of the coast is greatly increased by living at the height of 10,000 feet. But it is also asserted by observing travellers that dogs and bulls lose their combativeness at 12,000 feet, and that hence there can never be a good bullfight or dogfight on the Sierras. This is literally true, the dogs seem to partake of the tameness of their masters, 
Cats do not flourish at all at high altitudes, and probably the lion, transplanted from the low jungle to the tablelands, would lose much of his ferocity. Still, cockfights seemed to prosper, and the Battle of Pichincha was fought at an elevation of nearly 11,000 feet. Bolivar and the Spaniards also fought like tigers on the high plain of Junin. The sickness felt by some travellers at great elevations, violent headache and disposition to vomit, is called veta, and the difficulty of breathing from the rarity of the air is termed puna. Gerard complained of severe headache and depression of spirits at the height of 15,000 feet on the Himalayas. Dr. Barry, in ascending Mont Blanc, 15,700 feet, speaks of great thirst, great dryness and constriction of skin, loss of appetite, difficult breathing, tendency to syncope, and utter indifference. Baron Muller, in his ascent of Orizava, 17,800 feet, found great difficulty in breathing, and experienced the sensation of a red-hot iron searing his lungs and agonizing pains in the chest, followed by fainting fits and torrents of blood from his mouth. Humboldt, in scaling Chimborazo, suffered from nausea akin to seasickness, and a flow of blood from the nose and lips, while Herndon, on the slope of Puipui, 15,700 feet, said he thought his heart would break from his breast with its violent agitation. Though ascending the Andes to the height of 16,000 feet, and running up the last few rods, we experienced nothing of this except a temporary difficulty in respiration. We were exhilarated rather than depressed. The experience of Darwin on the Portillo Ridge, 14,000 feet, was only a slight tightness across the head and chest, there was some imagination even in this, he adds, for upon finding fossil shells on the highest ridge, I entirely forgot the puna in my delight. De Saussure says truly, the strength is repaired as speedily as it has been exhausted. Merely a cessation of movement for three or four minutes, without even seating oneself, seems to restore the strength so perfectly that on resuming progress one feels able to climb at a single stretch to the very peak of the mountain. End of chapter 5